My name is Samuel Roy Shaw. I am named after two of my grandfathers, Samuel Henry Shaw and Roy Melvin Ursley. Samuel was my father's father, my patrilineal father, my grandfather. Roy was my father's stepfather, the second husband of my grandmother, so I'm named after the first two husbands of my grandmother, and that right now tells you something about my family. <laughs> I called my step-grandfather Grandpa Roy. He was especially interesting. When I was a kid, he would tell stories of how he was born and raised in North Dakota, growing up in Lubbock, Texas, on the plains. His accent would would soar above the other accents in the room, crisp and clear. He left home as a teenager to escape an abusive alcoholic father and eventually ended up, he said, in California where, in the 1920s, in the heyday of the motion picture industry back before pictures could talk when they were still silent, he was a driver for several Hollywood directors, he said. I don't know who, I didn't have the wherewithal to get more information about that. He eventually uh, managed a group of farm workers who went up and down the Great Plains from North Dakota to Lubbock, Texas, where the plains end in the panhandle of Texas, where he met my grandmother. My step-grandfather, an inquisitive and spirited entrepreneur. My grandmother was a chiropractor. She got her license to practice in 1924 and advertised herself as the lady physician. My grandmother, a feminist physician of the early 20th century. My other grandfather, Samuel, was first a chiropractor with my grandmother. Growing up, however, I knew him as a carpenter. And I never really asked, and I'm now shocked that I didn't think of this, why, why in the world he would switch from being a chiropractor to a carpenter, uh, although I presumed it had something to do with the divorce and the fact that chiropractic was probably more my grandmother's doing than his doing. Again, that says something about my family. And he sought to simplify his life and to work when and as he saw fit and create time for the important things in life, listening to baseball games on the radio, <laughs> which he did with religiosity. My grandfather, one who followed his heart and lived simply, he was who he was without pretense or grandeur. My mother was a registered nurse. In the later years of her career, she was house supervisor on the 3 to 11 shift. I worked at that hospital during college as an orderly in the psychiatric unit, and it was there that I realized that my mom, who at home was mom and did mom things, was considered at work a fierce and respected woman that you didn't want to cross. There were stories that I heard of her handling difficult patients, difficult staff, and even, the stories she would tell with relish, difficult doctors. <laughs> mom was fearless. My mom, a strong, independent professional who was honored and feared. These are family stories of success, 
of strength, of wisdom. These stories and others I have and others you likely have in your families inspire me and I hope inspire you. They remind us of what's in our family DNA. Not the biological DNA necessarily, but the cultural patterns that all families have that determine to a greater extent than we're familiar on how we are in the world. There are other stories in my family that are not so heroic, of my mother's struggle in her marriage with my father, an alcoholic, of her own struggle with drinking that eventually cost her the job she did so well, a financial insecurity growing up. These are stories of failure, of inadequacy, of sickness, even tragedy. And sometimes in our families, there are stories that are embarrassing, stories not considered worthy of family lore and sort of uh, swept under the rug as it is. And I couldn't think of such a story for my family, but I do know of a cartoon that was in the 1970s issue of Christopher Street Magazine uh, that was a very famous and popular and groundbreaking magazine for the gay community early in, in the gay liberation movement. It shows a little boy crouched beside his bed saying his bedtime prayers with his mother dutifully looking on. Hands clasped, eyes closed, he prays, and God bless Uncle Harry and his roommate Jack, who we're not supposed to talk about. <laughs> All of these narratives, the heroic, the difficult, the ones we'd rather not talk about make us who we are today. The stories we tell about ourselves and how we make meaning from those stories shape us. They shape us, but they don't have to define us with finality. Our history is not a prison cell from which we cannot escape, but perhaps a provocation. Our history provokes us or stimulates us to act in a certain way or move in a certain direction and create certain possibilities for us. Our history influences us in subtle but powerful ways. A New York Times article in 2013 headlined the stories that bind us. The author described how family narratives, how family narratives shape families to be more or less successful as families. He said, the secret of happy families is to develop a strong family narrative. He said, such family narratives tend to take one of three shapes. First is the ascending family narrative of success and conquering. Son, when we came to this country, we had nothing. Our family worked. We opened a store. Your grandfather went to high school. Your father went to college. And now you can go and do wonderful things. Second is the descending narrative. Sweetheart, we used to have it all. Then we lost everything. He said the most health, healthful narrative is the third one called the oscillating family narrative. Dear, let me tell you, we've had our ups and downs. We built a family business. Your grandfather was a pillar of the community. Your mother was on the hospital board. But we also had setbacks. You had an uncle who was once arrested. 
We had a house burned down. Your father lost a job. But no matter what happened, we always stuck together as a family. So it's the meaning we make of our history and of the narratives of that history. Not so much what happened, but how we respond to what happened. The meaning we make from what happened. The narratives we create from what happened. And this meaning is important because it colors not only how we think about these stories, but how we think about ourselves. These stories create or reduce possibilities for how we live. Years ago, early in my ministry, I had a disappointing outcome when I did not get a church I was sure I would get. It was for a settled position, not a consulting transitional position, which is now my practice. In a large and prestigious church, which would have been a wonderful stepping stone, my entree into a very successful ministerial career very early in my career. A few years after it happened, I ran into a friend and related the experience, and he said something like, you always bounce back so easily. You're so resilient. And he meant it. That helped me to reframe not just what happened in that painful episode of my life, but helped me to reframe who I was. I am not the one who failed to get the big church. I am the one who can fail and bounce back. That changed the meaning of the narrative of that one difficult and important chapter in my life. Though one's history cannot be changed, as we talked about last week, the meaning we make of that history can. The possibilities of one's life is not determined by the history, but how we make meaning of that history. And sometimes it takes a number of years, the perspective of time, to make sense of what has happened. The years bring wisdom, possibly. In her poem, Now I Become Myself, the great May Sarton has written, Now I Become Myself, it's taken time. Many years and places, I've been dissolved and shaken, worn other people's faces, run madly as if time were there, terribly old, crying a warning, hurry, you'll be dead before, what, before you reach the morning, or the end of the poem is clear, or love safe in the walled city, now to stand still, to be here, feel my own weight and density. We become ourselves, we feel our own weight and density, only after enough time to gain wisdom, perspective. Life is a journey, the sage says, and life is a spiritual journey that unfolds perhaps not unlike a good story, like a narrative that draws the reader or the viewer in. It is a work in progress. The writer Eudora Welty has said, the events in our lives happen in sequence and time, but in their significance to ourselves, 
They find their own order. A timetable not necessarily, perhaps not possibly, chronological. The time as we know it is subjectively, know it subjectively, is often the chronology the stories and novels follow. It is the continuous thread of revelation. Our lives, the continuous thread of revelation. Are in the words of Father Nowen. What if our history does not prove to be a blind and personal sequence of events over which we have no control, but rather reveals to us a guiding hand pointing to a personal encounter in which all our hopes and aspirations will reach their fulfillment? Then our life would indeed be different because fate becomes opportunity, wounds a warning, and paralysis an invitation to search for deeper sources of vitality. I've been speaking here of family stories, personal narratives, and of course, as you might suspect, all this applies to the stories and history of a congregation. How we make meaning of the congregation's history creates a culture that holds power over a congregation. Our understanding of that history shifts as the years progress. Wisdom settles in. New possibilities perhaps open up. And we see from a longer view the meaning of what happened. Following worship, we'll gather in Gore Hall. We'll have a very short, truncated fellowship time. I apologize to our newcomers for that. Then you'll be invited into, into Gore Hall. Uh, if you're staying for the history wall, there'll be a light lunch. And I'll invite you to tell me the stories of your congregation. I will have a blank piece of paper and a marker in hand. Through that, in the weeks to follow, we'll do this for the next three weeks, four weeks total. We'll celebrate your successes, honor your challenges, mourn your losses over the years. Through that, we'll make meaning. Through that, we'll answer the question, who have we been? That will help us get clarity on who are we now, and most importantly, who do we want to be in the future? Where are we going? A congregation's history, like a personal narrative, is a provocation, inviting you forward into the journey of the congregation's ongoing and unfolding life and mission to continue the chance of new possibilities. Finally, this from author and Presbyterian minister Frederick Buechner. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is, in the boredom and pain of it no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. So it is, and so might it be. Amen. Our final hymn, again in the gray hymnal, number 128, For All That Is Our Life. 